Welcome to Sitting with Cece, the place to be for all discussions and conversations about isms and controversy, a podcast where you name it and we talk about it. Here on our podcast, we will create a safe space so we can have open and honest conversations and dialogue. We aim to educate you to increase your understanding and awareness. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Celia McIntosh, nurse practitioner, educator, and advocate. Thanks for joining me for the second episode of Sitting with Cece. This podcast will feature conversations about all things ism and controversy. This podcast aims to create a space where people can talk openly and honestly about issues so we can get to the heart of the matter. Today, I'm sitting down with Melanie Blow. She is the Chief Operations Officer for Stop Abuse Campaign, a national organization that prevents adverse childhood experiences through public education and public policy. She is also the founding member of the Rochester Regional Coalition Against Human Trafficking. As a member of RCAT's board of directors, she uses her experience to help RCAT manage its media and communication goals. Melanie also sits on the Trauma-Informed Community Initiative of Western New York, the Downstate Crime Victims Coalition, the only member west of the Hudson, and is a member of the Public Policy Committee of the Association of Professionals Against Child Abuse. We are so extremely glad to have you as our guest, Melanie. The views and the opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not reflect the organizations we are affiliated with. Melanie, thank you so much for accepting the invitation to pull up a chair with me and join the podcast today. So excited to have you share your knowledge and expertise. Well, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Today, we're going to talk about Pornhub Chronicles. Over the last few weeks, there's been a lot of media coverage around Pornhub. We know that Pornhub gets 3.5 billion visits a month, more than Netflix, Yahoo, or Amazon. Pornhub also rakes in about 3 billion ad impressions a day. And it's been said that Pornhub is the 10th most visited website in the world. So the literature also suggests that porn has been used to desensitize victims, which fuel trafficking and vice versa, human trafficking. And increases the appetite for commercial sex. So my question to you, Melanie, is how does this relate to child abuse, child sex trafficking, and advocacy? What's the connection? Well, the biggest piece of the connection, the piece that got this in the news, was when Pornhub was called out by New York Times writer Nick Kristoff for having millions of videos, website that involved rape of minors and rape of incapacitated or restrained adult women. So you can say what you want about pornography and its general role in Western society, but when it became obvious, when when Pornhub got called out for having millions of videos of this stuff, and that these videos were re-victimizing the victims, that Pornhub was not being responsible with them and was not taking them off when they were asked to, even if it was obvious that it was illegal for them to be displaying this because there was a minor involved. When they got publicly shamed over it, that's when they became responsive. And that's when the whole world started seeing this as a 
crime against children and a crime against women. In that same article, one of the children in that article, probably she was an adult at the time that she mentioned this, she talked about that Pornhub became her trafficker and how the videos were shown so many times, over 100,000 times, over 400,000 times. So every time that they were showing, it was like she was, like you mentioned, being re-victimized. Also in that same article, it suggested that Pornhub is, you know, essentially infested with rape videos and it monetizes child rape, just as you just mentioned. Revenge porn. And they also mentioned the use of spy cam videos of women showering, racist and misogynistic content, footage of women being asphyxiated with plastic bags. So why is there such a high demand for images of children, rape, unconscious people being raped? Well, we know that an awful lot of adults in the Western world are sexually attracted to children. We know that when you ask them in an anonymous way, about 10% of men and 3 to 4% of women will say they would have sex with a child if they thought they could get away with it. That's been documented in several peer-reviewed journals. So there's an awful lot of people walking around who are sexually attracted to children. I know less about what drives people to look for the sexual gratification of rape images. This is common stuff in our society. I don't think we ask why nearly often enough. And I think that if anything comes out of this, that's one of the things I would like to see come out of this. If we start asking, you know, okay, why is this happening? You know, why is there such a market? What happens when we take this away? And that's a very important part. The fact that, you know, we're not asking the question. So therefore an individual may feel like, you know, it's able to plead ignorance and not have the conversation. So therefore kind of look the other way and not address it. So not having the conversations also gives them this idea that it's okay to continue with this behavior, is what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So with that being said, why do you think it's getting so much attention now? Why is change happening at this juncture? Well, Nick Kristoff wrote a New York Times piece, and Nick Kristoff is a very celebrated writer, and when he writes something, people pay a lot of attention to it. So that certainly helped. The other thing is Pornhub had been trying to brand itself as the pro-social porn outlet. Part of their whole marketing scheme was they wanted to be pro-social, they donated heavily to charity. They had cute commercials. They seemed to want to kind of make porn more acceptable and be the good guys in the porn world, which is not a concept a lot of people are very used to. And then this whole thing happened that, you know, writing that there's not just a few videos, but millions out there that were you know, depicting rape, and many of them rape of children. So that was certainly not in keeping with their branding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. So that begs another question as, you know, what are the role for organizations like, you know, credit card companies, internet companies, like who is really helping them perpetuate this cycle of abuse and victimization? Well... Yeah, and that's going to become a good question. In general, 
internet companies are largely stripped of liability for crimes committed on their platform. And I get that. Any big web hosting site like GoDaddy cannot really diligently inspect the contents of what's up there. So, you know, yes, there's going to be people doing bad things online. And it's logical to give companies some shielding of liability for that. But it certainly doesn't need to be absolute. I mean, I understand why somewhere along the line, you would think that somebody would have looked at Pornhub and said, you know, gee, there's, we've got some practices here that are very suspect, which the biggest one with Pornhub where they were getting into trouble was random people were uploading these videos. And I mean, yes, I can certainly understand why all of the credit card companies aren't going to view everything on Pornhub. That would simply not work. But somewhere along the line, they do have, there does need to be some responsibility, even if it's not entrenched into law, of just saying, hey, you know, we are enabling a company to make billions of dollars and they're doing this by monetizing videos of rape. And when Nick Kristoff published his article, when this got called out, Within a few days, some of the major credit card companies started doing this. Then I think the rest of them did. And then Pornhub decided they're just going to stop allowing upload of non-approved content. And they took all user uploaded videos down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in doing that, you know, just thinking about that whole idea of that, taking these videos down, does that actually fix the problem? Seems like there, there has been so much advocacy around you know, this, the individuals that have been impacted have been advocating with their own voice and not being heard. And this has been going on for so long so that they you come to a point now where you're like, okay, so it all boils down to money again, because now that the credit card companies are kind of backing away and saying, you know, we can't align ourselves with this. Now, morally, they say they respond with a, act, a moral action to do the right thing. So is this going to fix the problem? Well, I certainly don't think it's going to fix the bigger problem. It's not going to fix the problem that we have huge numbers of adults who are sexually attracted to children and huge numbers of adults who are seeking sexual gratification by watching rape images. It certainly is not going to fix that. Hopefully it's going to make life a little bit easier for the victims. But these images are still going to get uploaded somewhere. One of the things with Pornhub that was kind of interesting is that they're a Canadian company, not an American company, but Canada is prides itself on having very progressive laws to protect women and children. If they were hosted on a server in the Philippines or in some other country where, or Thailand or someplace like that, someplace where commercial sex of minors is viewed very differently than it is here. I mean, it's still illegal in those countries, but it's it's viewed differently because the whole commercial sex industry is viewed differently. This wouldn't be happening. I mean, they would not be behaving the way they're behaving. It's just like when Backpage went out of business because laws were passed that would make them more liable. Okay, so Backpage went out of business. I mean, that's great, but it didn't stop sex trafficking. 
it didn't stop online sex trafficking. It decentralized it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going to happen with this. Right. You know, and I think a lot of people were concerned that, you know, after Backpage.com, you know, kind of went out of business, you know, is it going to go to the dark web, similar to what you just talked about? Mm -hmm. You know, but I, I think one of the biggest issues is that the overlap here, what we see is that there's always something that precludes the moral thing of doing the right thing. For example, like you said, the credit cards have stopped taking transactions. So now Pornhub takes the content down. Backpage.com, you know, legislation was passed. So now all of a sudden, morally, let's do the right thing because we our hand has been forced. You know, so that that to me, it's just like, why do we as a society or why does it have to get to this point? Why can't we just do the moral thing? And as you mentioned, you know, there is the desire, the demand is there, essentially. Right. The the demand is there. We don't like having the tough conversations in our society about commercial sex in general, whether that's commercial sex isn't prostitution or commercial sex, it's ratcheted down a notch, like pornography. Most people, certainly most men in the United States, and men are half the population of the United States, have watched pornography at some point. I think a fair percentage of them watch it a lot. And based on the numbers about Pornhub that you had at the beginning, some of them watch it an awful, awful, awful lot. So people are very reluctant to demonize something that they use or that they conceptualize in a particular way. I mean, a lot of people are afraid, oh, if we say we start saying bad things about Pornhub, it's just it's just bad. Pornography isn't such a bad thing. And one of the very important things with Pornhub that I don't think a lot of people realize before this is this isn't this isn't your grandfather's pornography. These are user uploaded videos. There's no regulations whatsoever about how they're generated. Back when the access that most people had to pornography was stuff that was commercially made, that stuff is made under certain laws and certain industry standards and guidelines. So it wasn't involving minors. It was, by and large, I mean, you know, some 17-year-olds would falsify papers, but for the most part, it wasn't involving minors. It wasn't advertising as involving minors. You know, there was just a level of, I hate to say decency, but something. There, there were certain guidelines to it. Now we're talking about something very different, a very different product. And we're also talking about a level of consumption that has never really been possible. Because now people can view it on a little handheld cell phone, which didn't exist 10 years ago or much more than 10 years ago. Yeah. So there's all this access. Yeah. You know, so it's like right at the tip of your hands, you know, it's demand is there and plus it's right there. So it does, there's, like you said, no regulations, no impetus for people to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to cut off so much income. You know, this obviously the money that is spent, Pornhub makes a lot of money. The pornography in general makes a lot of money. Nobody wants, no credit card company, no search engine, no web hosting site wants to deprive themselves of that revenue. But when they realize that it's how bad some of this stuff is, that 
at least this time, that did help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, as we have this conversation and talk about how often the videos are, the impressions are seen and the videos are uploaded, is the the, the idea of the mental illness and just the thinking about the victim, thinking about the, you know, the individual that has been impacted by this, the trauma, the PTSD, the depression, the anxiety, the embarrassment of knowing that this is out there and that it can circulate and impact your life, even though you may have made one mistake and it's followed you your whole life and you can't get away from it. Can you speak to that? I mean... This is certainly horrible. This is certainly, certainly a level, a whole level of trauma that child sex abuse survivors and rape victims had not had to worry about much until recently. The fact that those images are being out there was not, you know, this was a very rare occurrence up until recently. Now it's a whole lot less rare. It certainly is horrible. Hopefully, as any individual victim heals, they start to realize, you know, gee, if someone is interviewing me for a job or working with me professionally or this, that, or the other thing, interacting with me in some professional capacity, and they recognize me as being someone they watched on a rape pornography video, they're the ones who need to be ashamed of themselves, not the victim. But that comes with healing and that comes with time. And that's not a place you can get, victims can get to right away. And usually it takes years, if not decades to get there. And it certainly mm-hmm. is a threat. I mean, it's certainly videos being made of their victims and somebody threatening to put them on the web or send them to parents or send them to this, that, or the other person. It certainly is a threat. And when you're being manipulated, when you're in that kind of a bad situation, it certainly is a significant one. And so these things are bad. Again, hopefully, I don't think it's realistically going to harm somebody's chances of getting a, landing a job, of going to college, et cetera, et cetera. But the perception is there. And that's horrible. And again, it is just, it's just a level of stress and trauma that victims just don't need. Right. And what I've read, you know, in some of these articles is how the, you know, the long-term impacts of it. I mean, this could potentially push someone down a road of suicide attempts, Mm -hmm. the increased vulnerability of it can, you know, potentially increase their risk to be trafficked. You know, so, I mean, I could just see that this could also spiral them down this other path because of the whole stigma behind everything and and not being able to trust anyone and just the shame from it all. It certainly can. And, you know, I'm not going to argue that that's not the case. With that said, I mean, anyone who is in an abusive situation and is being manipulated to do anything those threats and those manipulations, whatever they are, can be extremely damaging. Back before this was a thing, back before it was common for people to have videos of their victims being victimized, abusers would still make threats that could further stress and further traumatize victims and worsen their outcomes. And 
traffickers could do this. So it's not unique, but it certainly, it, it just, it certainly is bad. Mm-hmm. Thoughts around empowering someone that has been through this or experiencing this, being impacted by these images and years of trauma from Pornhub, you know, constantly showing these impressions. I mean, it is a very normal, unfortunately, but it's a very normal stage that survivors go through when they blame themselves. That is, I mean, that's pretty much a universal of the survivor experience. You blame yourself. And when you blame yourself, it's very easy to think that, oh, gee, it's my fault that these images are out there. It's my fault that, you know, my image is up on Pornhub and all these men are getting sexual gratification from this. As victims heal, you realize it's not your fault. You realize, oh, gee, no, this, whatever manipulations were used, whatever path led you to being victimized, it wasn't your fault. And that's a huge, huge, huge step in the healing of any survivor of sexual violence. There are some cultural things that, can, that I think need to happen in our culture and all Western cultures to get us to that point. But it's also, it's not just a cultural artifact. Some of it's a psychological artifact. Some of it's the nature of the way abusers treat their victims and the way abusers talk to their victims. And they typically will say, you made me do this, or this is your fault. And we believe the things we're told. So true. So true. So what can we do to combat the issues of the the trade of abusive images? Is there anything we can do other than what they've currently done and which is taking them down? Yeah. And I mean, one big porn site took them down. That's great. I'm sure a whole bunch of others have put them back up. So that, you know, it's it's a good thing. And it's a great advocacy story. But yeah, we it's I'm trying I also want to keep that in perspective. I mean, we need to talk about this. We really need to talk about, you know, we need to talk about how common sexual child sexual abuse is in our culture. We need to talk about the fact that it's not just a few bad apples that there's that you know that one out of five children can expect to be sexually abused before their 18th birthday another significant chunk of women are going to experience rape as an adult we need to talk about how many people are drawn to violence how many people are drawn are drawn to this and you know we need to have a way that people who realize this is a part of themselves that they don't like can get help We're not really good at that. And nobody thinks that they know any anybody like that. You know, people think there's there's a meme you see on social media a lot that why you know, why is it that every woman knows a rape victim, but no man knows a rapist? There's a lot of truth to that. We somehow most of us know will know someone in our life who identifies as sexual abuse victim. Very few of us will know someone who identifies as a perpetrator of that abuse. And it's, yes, a lot of abusers do have more than one victim. So there's not a one-to-one correspondence. But people don't realize Mm -hmm. that justice is 
incredibly rare that, you know, the vast majority of these people never see a day behind bars. They never have any criminal justice accountability. We need to talk about that. So we need to talk about that, you know, we are living in a world full of, with a lot of people who have some pretty twisted and pretty horrible ideas in their mind about sex and sexuality and power and control and women and children and how all of that, all that is meshing together in a really bad way. Mm -hmm. And one of the common things that I kind of tend to hear, you know, there's always this kind of victim blaming, you know, that maybe should be, you know, because when in the article, it talked a lot about, you know, 14 year olds, 15 year olds, being impacted by this because they sent a picture to someone that they really liked or something like they had a crush on. So now, you know, you have individuals say, well, you know, that it's kind of their fault. Maybe they should be educated more. You know, it's, you know, for some women, it's, oh, it's the way they dress. It's all their fault. So there's this whole idea of this victim blaming, which, like I said, even more perpetuates the cycle that you can't get away from. So, yeah, yeah. That's that's a great point, because, I mean, when I read that article, yes, it is concern. Yes. These girls experienced negative consequences when they took when they were asked provide nude pictures of themselves and share them with people. But for crying out loud, if you're a 14 or 15 year old boy and you're asking for nude pictures, that's also problematic. And not only is asking for those pictures problematic, but putting them out on the internet is enormously problematic. You know, there's no mention of that in any of the articles. One of the things that's kind of interesting about this, like, Years ago, when people were talking about minors and use of internet and stuff like that, and minors taking and sending nude pictures of themselves, it was in the context of trying to make the laws against child pornography more lenient because minors were getting convicted of child pornography, which can has significant federal sentences to it and you know that can really derail somebody's life and yes I don't think minors should face major criminal sentences for for doing you know exchanging pictures with each other putting it up on the internet is a little different and that's not that's not quite so impulsive and that's not quite so much of a mimicry of normal I won't say healthy, but it's certainly normal at this day and age, I think, for adults to send to send nude pictures, or at least for male adults to send nude pictures. That's become courtship in this century. And it's very tricky for us to tell kids you can do stuff as, you know, there's certain things that it's okay for adults to do and it's not okay for kids to do. We say that in the context of alcohol and tobacco and we have a lot of minors who smoke cigarettes or vape and drink alcohol so that part is a very tricky conversation we we need to talk to kids about we need it's not just a girl thing we need to talk to boys we need to tell them this is not appropriate this is actually illegal this is actually incredibly damaging and we should, you know, provide a world where it's a little bit harder for kids to do such stupid things that are going to potentially harm somebody else so much. 
or harm themselves so much if they're the one who gets caught with nudes of a minor on their phone. Right. So one of the other things that I wanted to kind of bring up, you mentioned that oftentimes these individuals that are buyers essentially don't spend a day in jail or they don't get any consequences, you know, and one of the things that made me think about was, you know, even here when we talk about sex trafficking and doing John details, I'm just thinking about how could they hold these buyers accountable, you know, going back and checking, you know, the statements or something. I, I don't know if that, you know, they'd probably be protected by different laws, you know, mm-hmm. transaction laws. So I don't think that is even possible, but it's like there's absolutely no repercussions, no consequences. You know, I have to wonder if there's going to be another level of investigation to get to that point. But, you know, even like you said, if even if they take these images down, justice is not served. This cycle is perpetuated. And this basically just says you can do what you want. You can victimize women. You can victimize kids and you will get away with it. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Um, To put that in a little bit of perspective, so years ago, but this century, but years ago, the FBI released studies saying there were, oh, I think close to 100 million ISP addresses that they were aware of that were involved in uploading and downloading of child pornography. Now, that doesn't mean 100 million people, presumably, because Presumably the people who are doing a lot, who are most involved in child pornography have several ISP addresses, but still it meant the FBI was aware of a huge amount of trade in these images and they just don't have the manpower to arrest all of those people. They don't have the manpower to arrest most of those people. I mean, we talk about the problems of mass incarceration and reference to drugs and reference to, you know, whatever the America's prison population is, it's, if you actually started arresting anything close to the number of people who trade in these images, our society would grind to a halt. And I absolutely positively believe that accountability is important. I absolutely positively believe that these people need to be held accountable. I mean, it's been 15 years of my life lobbying to lengthen the statute of limitations on child sexual abuse so that it was a little bit easier to hold more offenders accountable. I absolutely believe that's one of the things that needs to happen. I also believe this is not something that we can entirely arrest our way out of. This is a much bigger problem than that. Definitely agree with that. So one of the other things that I wanted to kind of touch on, what would you say to the advocates that have been, you know, essentially on the front line of this issue that have been, you know, lobbying and, you know, speaking up and sacrificing re-traumatization from telling their stories or just feeling like they're in a fight that's never going to end because there's just so many layers to it? What would you say to those advocates? Thank you. And yes, it is important. There's not ever going to be one single blazing victory that entirely fixes the problem. 
because we're talking about a problem that at its most fundamental, something, a problem in the hearts and minds of millions and millions and millions of people. That's not the easiest thing in the world to fix, but there are victories along the way and there are, you know, good things do happen. I mean, with Pornhub, I mean, there had been advocates out there talking about it for years. A lot of people who follow this were aware of this. I mean, myself included, although I was shocked by the magnitude when it finally, it finally came out. There are victories and you have to accept that it's going to be a slow process. Every victim who goes into advocacy, I think they hit a stumbling block when they realize that their story alone isn't enough to change the world. I mean, when I was working on the Child Victims Act, we had so many advocates who would lobby for one year and they'd tell their story and it was a big deal. And it was, at the start, it would be a very cathartic and healing thing for them. But when that bill didn't pass year after year, it was just so crushing. It's just this idea that, oh my God, my story, my pain, everything, my courage doesn't matter. And they just, they couldn't do it again. And, you know, keeping it, keeping perspective is, is important. Keeping, you know, keeping a view of the broader field is important. It does happen to get, there's a huge difference between someone talking about something on Twitter or leaving a comment in an article or a comment on a blog about something and getting a really, really credible reporter from the New York Times to do the masses of research that they have to do and get all of the proof that they need to gather in order to clear the story with their legal department and all that stuff. There's a huge difference between that. And a lot of people think we'll talk about media corruption or media indifference or all these all this conspiratorial stuff when they're telling their truth and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere especially with the media i remember for me a huge moment when i was working on getting the child victims act passed was the first time i saw editorials in papers that are being written by someone who wasn't me like, oh my gosh, this is actually catching on. And then, you know, the New York Daily News started writing about it. And then ultimately every media outlet in the state was writing about it. But it's just, it's a very, it can be a very slow slog, but it can happen. You just have to be persistent. And you have to keep a long view and you just, you know, you just keep at it. And I want you to remind the audience listening, how long were you rallying for the child victim? Protection yeah. Act or the years. Child Sexual Victim it Act. Was 15 years yeah. to extend the statute of limitations for criminal prosecution, for civil prosecution, and to get a one-year look-back window that did become a two-year look-back window for civil cases. So yeah, it took a huge, huge amount of time for something that was rather humble, but also important. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that look back period, because with them saying a one year or two years, it still seems like you're, yeah, we've done our due diligence in passing this law, but now you're being penalized and you have to do it within this time frame. Mm-hmm. There's all these restrictions that the 
individual faces, but no one else is being held accountable. So that in itself can be very restricting and overwhelming and just depressing. Absolutely. And like California, I think it was in 2019 as well. California has passed more than one look back window. California passed their second. In some other states, Hawaii has passed more than one. They passed one and then they passed another one on top of it. Like when the one was going to end, the new one began. It is very tricky. It's very difficult to make lasting change because this is stuff that makes people very uncomfortable to talk about. And it makes people very uncomfortable to think about it and to realize that good people and good institutions are have done some really, really bad things. And, it's, you know, you know, it's just much easier and much more comfortable to look the other way. But if you do, then nothing changes. And one of the things that I actually thought about today, I said, you know, and I really have to take the barriers off my advocacy, you know, and I guess what I mean by that is, you know, even though I'm advocating for issues around human trafficking and misconduct, the police misconduct, there are just so many levels of advocacy. And the reality is, I need to be able to really advocate for all these issues, you know, advocate for improvement or betterment of these issues, period. So, you know, so well, what are your thoughts I mean, on that? I think everyone needs to really understand the issues that they're the most passionate about and that they can, they can advocate for. Cause yeah, everything in the world is related, is interrelated some way or another. And if you start advocating for everything under the sun, you're going to burn out or dilute yourself to the point of not being as useful eventually. But to understand it, to understand how things are related, to ask the big questions, just that alone. So, you know, the whole seven whys thing. So, you know, so why... You know, why was, why are people putting stuff up on Pornhub? Well, why do people, why are people attracted to this? Why, you know, why, 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 why is this happening? If you can just do that and just keep working in rings outside of your issues and just kind of understanding other things better, that's enormous. To understand some of how some of these things are related, to under, to start thinking, outside of the box a little bit that's enormous Mm -hmm. and then you feel empowered to contribute or do something in some way especially if it's someone that Mm -hmm. had no exposure no knowledge now they have at least some tools to do more investigation do more you know participation or volunteering or just to learn more about it like you said the rochester regional coalition against human trafficking i have because I'm usually very involved in drafting our legislative policies and budget policies. And I always say that it's not, something can be a very important human trafficking bill that doesn't have the words human trafficking in it. And by the same token, a bill that does have the words human trafficking in it can be extremely minor in scope and not to say it's bad, but just it's minor. Because this stuff doesn't exist in a vacuum, you know? Exactly. Yep. That's typically what we talk about. You know, all these isms are essentially related. Like you said, there's so much intersectionality between them. So, yeah. 
Definitely. So this conversation has been very rich. So we're down to our final questions. And I wanted to know what drives you to do the work that you do? And then talk a little bit about what are some of the recommendations and tips that you would um, leave so with our audience I am, I am a survivor of child sexual abuse and a lot of other childhood trauma. And it has being able to put it in the perspective of life as an advocate has been very, certainly I think a lot more therapeutic and healing than not seeing it that way. We're trying to make something good out of it rather than not making anything good out of it. I'm also very inquisitive by nature. I like solving problems. And when we start talking about the problems inherent to child sexual abuse and sexual violence in general, there's a lot of problems to solve in there, and it's all related. Human trafficking is like the tip of an iceberg of other bad things that are very similar and that do drive people there. We've, we have this great obsession in our culture of thinking about it, of perfect victims. And I think that's one of the reasons why human trafficking has caught the public imagination so much. And I want to, when I discuss that, I always want to make sure that it's very clear that no, it's not people who are you know, being kidnapped and have generally lived otherwise good lives. Most trafficking victims have had a lot of other bad stuff happen to them before they get trafficked, and they're going to have a lot of bad stuff happen to them once they are no longer being trafficked. It's a very complex problem. It's also very mm -hmm. gratifying to play any role whatsoever in fixing it. Yeah, and I will echo that as well. You know, I, I, I did a presentation today and just after it, I realized that, you know, just how much love I have for educating people and feeling like I'm solving a problem by giving them resources and tools to be able to, you know, identify victims of trafficking, connect them with treatment or, or treat them and connect them with services. So I definitely echo that point as well. What are some of the recommendations and tips that so, you would leave with the audience? I think that parents need to talk about not just sex and not just sexuality, but relationships with their kids. You know, parents have to say really uncomfortable words and really uncomfortable things. Like explain that this is a really bad thing to take nude pictures of yourself, to ask for nude pictures of a classmate. For one minor, just send nude pictures of their significant other to you, even if whether or not you ask for it is extremely bad. Kids need to understand that this is illegal, that it can ruin their life, that it can be enormously damaging to somebody else's life. You know, there are good tools out there to limit what your minor can do with their cell phone. The internet has changed parenting in a drastic way. It's changed everything in a drastic way. Parents need to understand some of that stuff. And, you know, do you need, I don't think it's a bad thing to tell parents to try to, you know, maybe rein it in a little bit. That's great. Parents also need to understand there's a, even if their child has never said that they've been sexually abused, there's a very good chance that they have. Even the parent may not think they know there's anyone in that child's sphere of, who would sexually abuse them. That doesn't mean that they, there isn't. Then parents need to educate, 
just they need to educate themselves about this. They need to educate their kids a little bit more about this. But I think we love mm-hmm. pushing the buck onto kids in our society. We love telling, you know, oh, well, kids do violent things because they're bullied. Let's tell kids not to bully rather than let's understand what we're doing to kids that's making them so cruel and violent and giving them so much opportunity to bully. And it's the same thing with this. It's not, oh, we got to tell mm-hmm. kids not to take new pictures of themselves. No, we've, we've got to understand what we're doing to kids and maybe limit their destructive tendencies just a little bit. But we've, we've got to pay attention. We've got to be the ones with our eyes open. All great points. Well, I want to thank you again, Melanie, for taking out time out of your busy schedule to come sit with Cece. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to support the podcast, please follow or subscribe, share with others, post it on your social media, or leave a rating and review. Also, feel free to leave a voicemail with questions, suggested topics for future podcast episodes. To catch all the latest from me, you can continue to follow me on Instagram at doc underscore Macintosh, which is M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H. So that's at D-O-C underscore Macintosh. Thanks again. Thank you for pulling up a chair and listening to Sitting with Cece. We hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you access your podcast. Follow me on social media, share the episode, DM me with comments, or leave a voicemail message with topic suggestions and questions for our next podcast. Remember, the views and opinions expressed during the show represent our guest and host alone. Until next time, bye.